Well, everybody, I'm going to go ahead and call this meeting to order. Uh, first off, we're going to have the treasurer report. B.J. Roberts is going to give that. All right, guys. Uh, for those of you that I haven't met yet, uh, my name's B.J. Roberts. I work over at Sigma with Greg Bro. Boo. <laughs> oh, we don't want to hear that. Protege. Uh, as per our, our last statement, we had $2,356.21. Um, also, you'll notice the microphone we have. Uh, what we'll start doing is uh, we'll start recording our meetings and events. Um, we'll export these and post them as podcasts. Uh, somebody miss misses a meeting or uh, you know has something that you had you found particularly interesting and, and want to go back and listen to it. Um, we're going to try to get these up on the LSPS website. Um, hopefully in the next month or so. Yeah. So. And we got how much money in our uh, checking account? $2,356.21. All right, we got $2,356.21. That's before Steve gets done with the wine bill tonight. I haven't had any wine yet at all. No, okay. Well, yeah, that's fine right there. Good deal. Good deal. Good deal. Well, thank you, BJ. We appreciate it, bud. Uh, after that, we got old business. Uh, 2014 State Convention wrap up. Uh, I think most of y'all were probably at the convention. It was a real big success. Uh, rousing success. The total income from the convention? Yeah, that's what I like to hear. $109,445.42. Hey, nice. uh, that was now, that gross. was the total income. That was the most expensive It was also the most expensive convention. Uh, it was $81,868.39, but it was well worth it, in my opinion. It was awesome. LSPS netted $27,577. So we made a lot, we made it over 10000 well over, I think it's 13000 more than what was expected or, or, or generated. Well, about we, we did real good. We did real good, and uh, there was a lot of compliments on the convention, a lot of compliments on the speakers. The guys from Shreveport who will be hosting the next convention were very complimentary at the last LSPS meet we had here in Baton Rouge. Uh, they were asking us, what y'all do? Exactly. They they wanted to get our agendas and copies of everything, so we will be sending that to them, and uh, hopefully they'll have a real successful. I think the next one after that was going to be it's going to be Shreveport. If we don't, a lot of bad news guys won't go up to Shreveport, but the next one after that will be in Lafayette. Stan, you got to get at least ten percent of there. Hey, yeah, we'll get a cut. We'll get a fine. So go ahead, Robert. Right. I was just going to say, um, not that I don't know if anybody really pays attention, but the report. Just showed that we had a, what, a little over two thousand dollars, twenty three hundred fifty-six dollars in our account. Uh, we we as a district so, uh, sponsored a lot of things at the uh, state convention, uh, women's events, I believe, maybe even the fish fry. So I mean, we we had just accrued too much money in our savings account. So we actually we I mean we spent some money. I'm doing different. To anybody that went to the convention would have seen the, the fish fry. I mean, we had a live band out on the pool, good time, and uh, and also the ladies' events. I don't think we had any complaints. Um, the the dish the, the society actually I mean lost money on the the ladies' events, but that's what you go in knowing is going to happen. And uh, but anyway, that's District right, Six, District Six sponsored. <laughs> Uh, you know, a healthy bit of uh, kind of the, the fun things of the convention that went really well. Oh, yeah. Anyway, that's it. 
All right. Well done. I didn't you think I didn't what y'all thinking I like you know skipped out on about nine thousand dollars with y'all's money. No, 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 no. Sure, sure. Uh-huh. All right, new business. Uh C4G is going to host a Louisiana Height Modernization Workshop at, on July 9th at Cook uh, Hotel in LSU. It's already full. Uh, Josh sent out the uh, invitation two days ago. I think, well, I think Ms. Rhonda forwarded out a little earlier than that, but it's already full and it's booked. But uh, I just want, didn't want to make What's that? Curtis said he'll sell his chick ticket. It was a free convention, but Curtis will add $100 to it and make it, yeah. make it make, pay for his bar to Hey, stuff up. That's right. Uh, we're not going to host a tech session this year. Uh, Nichols is going to take it over for just this year. Uh, it'll be held at Nichols later in the fall. Uh, I'm sure Bellagio will be sending out some information on that. Uh, we have a new governor for the state of Louisiana for NSPS, and that is Mr. Robbie Overall. Uh, Robbie is taking over uh, Tony's place. Tony is now the vice president of NSPS. He's, he's the vice president of NSPS. Uh, he has the badge. So, uh, show it and uh, that's, a that, that's, oh, that's awesome. Our we meetings have, uh, are going to be so much shorter. It's sick. <laughs> <laughs> I was say you don't talk as long as he does, do you? Uh, it's awesome. We got a District 6 member that's going to be on our NSPS board. So, so if y'all see Tony, congratulating, uh, let him know. Uh, we appreciate him doing that. Sign, sign him, yeah. Let's give him a that's right. That's right. Yeah. All right. All right. New licensees. Like uh, Rhett is here somewhere. I, I saw him. Rhett was just licensed in the state of Georgia. Rhett's been a District 6 member for a year or so now. Uh, we want to congratulate him on getting his Georgia license. And soon, shortly, you're going to be applying for Louisiana to yep. get licensed too. For Rhett is a surveyor at Cardinal TV, which I know a lot of y'all probably have had deals with here in the Baton Rouge area. But uh, congratulations, Rhett. Congratulations, uh, man. Amen. 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 In, in Georgia, that was your home state, correct? Yes. That, that's where you were raised at in Georgia? Well, no, I just live a good part. You live a good part. That's, that's why he got his license in Georgia. You see, but, you'll uh, be a real surveyor. Thank you. <laughs> congratulations, Rhett. Does anybody else have any new business? Anything they want to bring up? They want to talk bad about any parish entities or anything like that? No? No? All right, well, good deal. Well, without further ado, uh, we have our speaker with us tonight, fresh from the levee boards of southeast Louisiana, Mr. Steven Stokelow. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Gentlemen, what we're going to do is we're going to be talking about war stories. And if you guys have a little war story to bring up, uh, we'd certainly be interested in it. But one thing that's really different between surveyors and many other professions is most surveyors are dealing directly with the public. Um, engineers work with sophisticated users of information, developers, people that are used to it. They're, they're around it, they understand it. But surveyors are often right there, you're the first guy that hits that general public person. And to give you an idea of kind of things that you can run around, uh, we asked one time to go out and evaluate a piece of property, guy wanted to have a survey done on his property. So we go out there and looking around a property, and he says, oh, here's this point and that point, and it, and it was pretty well monumented. And he says, oh, man, I got this survey plat. He pulled out the survey plat that had been done 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago, something like that, and it was a beautiful plat. I mean, it had bearings direction, it had state plane coordinates on it, it showed all the monuments and everything like that, and I said, well, you know, um, how come this wasn't in, in the deed documentation? He says, oh, man, if I recorded this plat, then somebody else could use it for nothing. 
And I wasn't going to have somebody else use the pad I paid for for nothing. And that's the kind of mentality you're running across. He had, for 25 years, he had, could have had a well-documented uh, plat about his possession for his property. It would have if cured anybody that could have made an attack against him for adverse possession. And he didn't want to record it. He kept it a secret because he didn't want somebody else to use it for nothing. That's the kind of mentality that uh, you're going to be running across. And so when you when you deal with this general public, you have to, you have to think about some of these people just aren't really that sophisticated. But on the other hand, some of them are a lot more sophisticated than you think. I remember one time I'm in my office. A guy comes in. He wants to have a piece of survey done right next to a big development that was going on, and he's telling me about how the deed he had has his property going into this development like 20, 30 feet. And he's telling me how it should be done, and this is what the proof is, and here's the old record, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm saying, well, do you want me to do the survey? I'll do the survey. But, you know, I'm the one that does the survey. So I looked up the deed, I got the old information. As it turned out, his property butted up on the, the, uh, the development. The, the, the surveyor for the development had done a good job. He relocated the lot, he recovered the line, it was just in the right place. And I told the guy, I said, well, here's your survey. You have absolutely no problems. Your property is free and clear. Pissed him off. He didn't want his property to be free and clear. He wanted there to be a dispute. Find out a little bit later how this guy worked. He would go around uh, developing areas, developing uh, counties, parishes, and he'd see like a Walmart going up. Then he took it to people that lived around that Walmart. He found a piece of property that had like, I don't know, 30 heirs. You know, and you know how it is when you got all his heirs on a piece of property. Nobody's maintaining boundary lines and others. Well, he'd buy the rights from one of those heirs. Then he'd go look up a surveyor and he would talk that surveyor into figuring out how that development encroached on his property. He was a professional litigant. Then he would sue Walmart and say, you've got 10 foot on my property. And of course, Walmart's like into the job for like $20 million. He said, you're on my property. I want you off my property. I'm going to sue you. And of course, Walmart would settle. He would take the seller's money. He would sell his 165th pack to whoever had it before. And he made his profit. He'd move on. And that's that. He was a professional litigant. He was also really unusually skilled at being a professional litigant. When he had meetings with attorneys, this guy, this guy kept like 50 dogs in the bed with him. I mean, in the house, in the car, in the bed with He just stink. I mean, this guy stunk. And he would go to these meetings with these lawyers, and he would be stinking up the room. The lawyers would have the windows open. They'd be hanging out in the open. They would sign off on that. Okay, we settle this thing. Gee, get him out the room. Get me out of here. <laughs> so when you're doing a survey and a guy comes in and he's starting to tell you about where he wants to find that property and everything. And he stays got, to high heavens. Yeah, yeah. You better be careful. Especially if he has dog hair all over and stuff like that. I think that's something that's dead now. <laughs> Another young young surveyor that, that, that I know didn't happen to me, but it happened to him pretty bad. Uh, he was involved with uh, 
a survey on a regular section. So you know it wasn't me. I think I've done three regular sections in my lifetime. Yeah. Down to Bayou, they don't have those sections. But he was doing a regular section. And he couldn't find enough evidence, so he did a proportional measurement. What's the first rule about a proportional measurement? Never do a proportional measurement. Find some evidence about the corner first, worry about that later. But he, he did a proportional measurement, and he moved the section corner that it put a whole subdivision off. Must have been 600 people in the subdivision. Put them all off about 50 feet. All right? He's young. He's been reading the rules. They got it on the test. They got proportional measurement on the test. So they all go into court. And he goes into court, and, you know, the ink's not drawing his license, but, you know, he knows how you do professional measurement, of uh, uh, proportional measurement. And uh, comes his time to testify, and he goes, he sits down, and the judge says, tells the attorney, wait a minute. He turns to the survey, and he says, okay, son, if you think you can take some fancy calculations and put this whole community in chaos, you are mistaken. And then he said, now you can go ahead and testify. <laughs> and the judge was telling him right off the bat, you know, you don't go moving around settled corners because you've got a proportional measurement thing going. There's a lot more evidence about where that property line is than proportional measurement. The true thing about proportional measurement, it was never, it will never ever recover that section corner where it was. It will never record it recovered where it was set. A proportional measurement is a is an uh, it is a confession of failure. I haven't found enough evidence where to put this corner, so I'm gonna do a proportional measurement. You can do proportional measurements to hunt for it, but when setting corners it's got to be the very last thing you have to do. But that uh, that young surveyor learned that lesson and I bet you the next time you went in the court he was basing his decision upon recovered boundary evidence and not on proportional measures. <laughs> Another funny thing happened. This is a guy calls up and he wants to have a survey done. And for, just for a fit, just one side. You get that every once in a while. I don't need a survey, I just need to know where my property line is. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I understand. Why is it you need to have a survey done for your property line? He says, well, my neighbor's fence was on my property, so I tore it down, and I need to have you do a survey so I can put the fence back up. So you, you, you tore the fence down. He says, yeah, well, it was on my property. All right. So I get this old subdivision plan, and this was, this was an old subdivision plan. It was done by a guy by the name of Stewart. And uh, he was a well-known surveyor down in the Wallace area. I think, he was, I think he died in 1958, something like that. Maybe a little bit and I get the subdivision plan out, and it was a resubdivision. It was done in 1958. I went out to the property. I found Stewart's original marks, and we knew it was Stewart's original marks because he had he had a big clipper, and he would take that inch and a half, or that half inch pipe, and he'd run it in that snip shear, and we cut it off, and it would pinch the pipe close when he cut it, and called that a pinch pipe. So when you found a pinch pipe, you say, "Ha, that's Stewart," because nobody else had a pinch pipe. So I go out there and I find Stuart's pinch pipe in the front, find it in the back, everything checks, all the distance is checked. Set up the angle instrument, turn the angle, and I look right down the line and I can see the stumps of the fence post right along the property line. Book, 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 book. Just perfect. The guy didn't just pull them up. He, he broke the metal pole by wiggling back and forth. You see? Now the neighbor on the other side were two little women. 
And every once in a while I see him picking out and speaking out the blinds like that. And this guy was a great big old biker kind of guy. And uh, so he comes out and he says, Oh, well, where's the property line? I says, Well, the fence you pulled down was right on the property line. It was perfect. There was nothing wrong with that guy. He said, What are you talking about? I say, he said, I met I, I had the survey plat. I says, Well, why don't you go get your survey plat and bring it out and we'll look at it. So he goes back inside, and while he's inside, I'm thinking, oh God, don't let it be one of mine. Don't let it be one of mine. <laughs> so he comes back out with a cert with a, a lawyer's title behind him. Is, is lawyer's title still doing business? No. No, good riddance. <laughs> so anyway, he comes out with a title behind him, lawyer's title. We open it up, and they have a survey in there that was done in 1956. Now you remember I said the subdivision was done in 1958. They had a survey that was done in 1956, but they didn't. And it was a, it was a nice survey. And it had the lot, it had the right number, and it had a distance to the property line, didn't show any fences. But in 1958, they did a resubdivision of the whole subdivision. <laughs> and the guy bought the resubdivided lot. And I says, well, you see, this is the wrong lot. You measured to where the house, where the property line was on 1956, but they didn't do that subdivision. They did it in 1958, and the fence was online. He gets all, man, he gets really, really upset. Big guy, you know. I said, well, yeah. He said, well, what can I do about it? I said, well, you see, right here you got lawyer's title. Why don't you call lawyer's title up and have them explain to you, or oh, you tore down your neighbor's fence, and you're probably going to have to pay to put it back up right where it was. And after you dig up all the fence posts that have been broken off, and dig up the concrete bar. <laughs> When you're dealing directly with people, you're going to have these kind of experiences. One of the, uh, I used to have a friend of mine, his name was Estes, Johnny Estes, and his daddy was, uh, his daddy's nickname was Quailbone. I don't think I know what his daddy's real name was. But anyway, Quailbone Estes, he, uh, he inherited a piece of property from his daddy. And it was a piece of farmland. It was one of them strip farmlands. You know how they got the long, narrow strip farmland. And that guy, and uh, Wellbone wasn't into working. And he wasn't really interested in farming that land, so he decided he was going to divide it up and sell off the lots. And, you know, he could divide it up, put a street down. But he didn't have he didn't have two nickels to rub together. But he talked to a contractor. He told the contractor, you know, if you put in, if you put in the road stuff, I'll give you so many of the lots. It's payment. And, uh, Said, you know, if you survey the land and all that, we'll give you so many lots as a payment, you know. Surveyed it and put it in the street, divided up the lots, and he gave them, everybody started selling lots. And in about three years, he sold out all the lots except the one in the front that he kept for himself and the woman that he lived with. And they lived in a trailer on that first lot. So he came in after the last act of sale and he walked in there and he threw the check down. He said, Baby, go put that in the bank. He said, we done sold that last lot. We got this one for ourselves. He said, now I'm going to go down to Little Rock Boogie, and I'm going to celebrate selling the last lot. You know, because they had collected a lot of money selling those lots. So he goes down to Little Rock Boogie, and this was a Friday night, Friday afternoon. Saturday morning, about 3 o'clock in the morning, he comes driving back in his pickup truck, turns in his driveway, and he looks, and he says, you know what? I went into the wrong driveway. Because, <laughs> all right, so he, Pulls back out, goes down the street, goes back up the street, turns back in the driveway. There's something wrong because my trailer is not here. He gets out the car and there's a hookup sticking up out the ground. And uh, he gets out of his pickup and he says, 
the trail is gone. Now it's three o'clock in the morning, Saturday morning, and this is back when you didn't have cell phones, you didn't have 24-hour banks, you didn't have any of this kind of stuff. He's got three dollars in his pocket, he's drunk as a skunk, and he's got a pickup truck, and the trailer is gone. So he had to sleep in the truck, and then Monday morning he went to the contractor to build it, and he was talking to him about it, and the contractor let him sleep in the warehouse. So Monday morning he could go to the bank. And he went to the bank Monday morning, and you know what the bank told him. Oh, you know a lady that drew out every penny that was in that account Friday. $60,000. Now this is $60,000, Boom! <laughs> Gone. Never found it. The trailer was gone. He never found it. He spent the rest of his life working odd jobs and stuff like that, and, then, uh, and that was it. <coughs> Amazing. Some of the things that can happen. Another time, uh, working on a job with uh, during development in uh, in the Chalmette area, uh, very close to where the Chalmette battlefield is, uh, up in that part of Chalmette, and they had overvoided uh, was clearing land for a pretty reasonable sum. He had one of those old bulldozers. The bulldozer was so old it had. Uh, Pulleys on the front to lift the blade up and down. It wasn't hydraulic. You've seen those. We're talking about this is an old machine. So, and he would clear the land, and the, and the developer would come out every once in a while and check on it, and uh, we'd go out with the developer and see how it was going, clearing trees and stuff like that. So, get out there one time, and the bulldozer's sitting there, idle. And the guy's not there. Uh, you know, he said, uh, well, says, well, you know, where's my man? I don't know. We'll go look around. We'll look, we'll look back in the woods, maybe, you know. He thought maybe, maybe he hurt himself on the building or something. I said, well, no, it can't be that because his pickup truck is gone. So, just kind of standing out, just looking around, look on the ground, and there's a little something shiny on the ground. Velvet bends out and picks it up, and it's a gold doubloon. And I'm not talking about a naughty, broad balloon. I, I'm talking about a real the balloon. He said, printed and for the king of Spain. All right, the pieces of the eight. He says, look, what is this? So we look around, there's two more, there, there was two uh, uh, silver pieces of eight. About the size, almost the exact same size as the silver dollar. Had two of those on the ground. I think he found one more doubloon, and we found some pieces of wood and some iron frame that looked like it goes on a box. You know, like a wood box where you have the frame there. And that's all we found. So, we don't know what to think, except maybe he run into something here and he found something. So we said, well, let's go to his house and see what's going on. Meanwhile, I think I'll turn the dozer off. So we go to his house and his, and his wife's there and she comes out and he said, what you want? He said, well, we're looking for Leroy. He said, well, he's working on clearing your land. And he said, no, he's not there. He said, well, he's not here either. He hasn't come back today yet. He never did come back. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know where Leroy went. He was gone. Gone. We have no idea. Now we figured that that box, if you put it all back together, was about that big. And just think if it was about that big and full of gold balloons. I just hope he didn't hit his throat. Wow. But uh, yeah. These kind of things you just 
It just happened. I remember one time. <laughs> How many people do flood out there? Aren't they terrible? Don't you hate them? I like to play. I like to play. I'm doing one down in the bayou, and uh, it was for a guy had to put in a trailer house, and he had to have it 14 feet off the ground because it was in a flood hazard area. He should have had it 20 feet off the ground, but you know. So we went down there, we put a nail in the tree, PK nail in the tree, or on a power pole, I'm sorry, it was in a power pole, about head high, and said, all right, you got to go so many feet above this nail with your trailer. And uh, so we set the TV in, and, and we did all the measurements, got ground measurements, checked it to the water to make sure it was a reasonable value, you know, because the benchmarks back in those days were pretty screwed up, so you always shot the tide to make sure you got a reasonable value. If you shoot the tide, you get a tide elevation of three. You say, wait a minute, that's not a reasonable value for this one. So anyway, we did all that. And then about, oh, I guess about a month later, he calls up and he wants to come out and get his final elevation. Because he's got his trailer all built out there. So, so we go out there and set up the instrument. And I shoot the TBM on the nail. I shoot the inverter and trailer and everything's fine. And I say, fine, shoot the ground. Shot the ground and I got plus four for the ground. So wait a minute, that's not right. There's not anything around here plus four. The highway's not plus four. So wait, let's shoot the water. So get over there and shot the water. We got a plus one for the water. Well, that's about right. I know, I'm sorry. We got a, like a plus three for the water. So wait, that can't be right now. Now I've got a real problem. So I said, uh, so I go back and shoot the nail again. So my Robin finally says, what's going on, boss? I said, you know, you don't usually back and forth like this and all that. He says, what? Something ain't working out right. He said, what's wrong? He said, I said, it's not working out for like two feet. So he says, oh, wait a minute. There's the hole where the nail used to be. He said, some son of a bitch moved that nail. And the guy in the, guy in the trailer jumped down. He said, who you calling a son of a bitch? <laughs> I'd say, that would be you. <laughs> you have to shoe fits? You know? I mean, you can't make this kind of stuff up. <laughs> one time I'm uh, one time I'm doing an altar survey for a, for a sale of house from Arkansas, and uh, we finished doing the survey. Now I'm standing out in front of the house and I'm doing my final little sketch of my field book and all that. And I happen to be standing over the catch basin. It's one of those mountable kind of catch basins where uh, where you can roll up on it. It's all great. It's not one of those vertical. So you can see down in the catch basin when you're standing there. So I'm standing there, and for reasons known only to God, I look down in the catch basin and I see the drain pipe leaving the catch basin going right in the house. I said, oh, we must have missed the manhole somewhere. Because it's got to run from the catch basin to the manhole and then go down the street, right? Can't find a manhole for squat. So then I tell uh, the robin, I says, go look, there's a canal behind the house. I said, climb over the fence, see if you can find a, a culvert coming out there. So he comes and he says, man, oh, man, it's all grown up with weeds, I can't see nothing. I said, well, hold on. So I got a maul, and I hit the frame on the catch base. Bum, bum, bum. He says, uh, I can hear it, I can hear it. He says, all right, I got it. I got where the pipe comes out. I said, okay, so I moved over to where I could see him standing on the pipe. So you're on the pipe? He said, yeah, he's got a rainbow. And so I move over to the catch base, and as I move over to the catch base, the house goes shoot. That storm drain went right through the middle of that house. Directly through the middle of the house. How they never hit it with the piles. You know back down there when they drive piles for a house, it's a forest upside down. It looks like a porcupine. 
How he didn't hit that strong grain with a plow, I'll never know. So, give him a survey plat, and there's a house and all the property, and everything's fine except you got a strong grain coming from the catfish going right underneath the middle of the house out to the canal. Well, as you might imagine, that queried the sale pretty bad. The guy that owned the house was really mad at me. He was really happy. Wanted to sue me because, according to the author thing, I'm only required to show uh, things that I can see. Subsurface utilities that can't be seen, I'm not required to show them. And he says, you shouldn't have shown that because you couldn't see that. And so he was going to sue me. Never did get the... Uh, Never did get the final suit. I guess there wasn't. A, I guess I wasn't a lawyer hungry enough to take that. How many people here had to deal with the railroad? Oh, oh. Ah. good friend of mine, contractor friend of mine. Starting out, young and live, young, young, young kid. Got a wife, got a kid. Uh, works for a contractor, and they were going to Jack and Boar a war line underneath the railroad to get to this lawyer's house. It was on the other side of the railroad from the waterman. So he's down in the hole, you know, working with the guys and, and Jack and the board, and a Crown Vic pulls up. Alright? First alert, it's a Crown Vic. Guy gets out the Crown Vic and he's wearing a suit. Uh-oh. A suit gets out of a Crown Vic. Number two alert. So he's standing there. <laughs> And the suit walks over and says, okay, what you doing, kid? He says, well, uh, we're jacking and boring underneath here to get the water service to that lot on the other side of the railroad so this toy man can build his house over there. He says, oh, yeah? He says, uh, where's your permit? He says, uh, what permit? I said, the permit that you have to have to jack the board underneath the railroad to get over there and serve that house. He says, well, we're not on the railroad property. He says, that's, that's the question. I asked him. I said, where is your permit? He says, well, I don't know where the permit is. He says, well, who's in charge around here? So he looks around. Everybody else got the hit down. You know. He said, I guess I am. He says, fine, you're under arrest. What about badge? U.S. Marshal, you're under arrest. Get out of the hole. He tells the other guy, you start covering this hole back up. Puts the cuffs on the kid. Puts him in the back of the crown. Big. Now, this guy, you know, He's never been in trouble with anybody ever. I mean, the guy didn't even cheat on math in school. And he's in the back of the Crown Vic, in cuffs, he's got a wife, he's got a kid, and he's really upset about this whole situation of being arrested by federal marshal. And uh, just then, the lawyer that they're doing all this work pulls up. And the lawyer gets out from smoking a big stogie, big fancy senior lawyer. <laughs> so so the suit looks at the lawyer and he says, well, who are you? And the lawyer says, well, I'm lawyer so-and-so, and, -so, and uh, we're building my house right over across the other side of the lawyer. He said, that's fine. He said, these men work for you? He said, yeah, they work for me, and I demand that you get my man out of your car. You don't have any reason to put that man in the car. And, they, and they, uh, the suit says, well, you got a permit to do this? He said, I don't need any damn permit. I'm not on your railroad, and I got a right to bring that pipe to my house. I don't need any permit. I demand you get my man out of the car. And the, uh, the suit says, okay. He says, you're right. He goes over to Vic, Crown Vic, he opens it up, pulls my boy out, undoes the cuff, he says, son, you're free to go. Because the man over here says, 
I got to let you Thank go. You. They turned to the lawyer and said, you lawyer, you turn. you're under arrest. <laughs> you have a contract and did that uh, jack of war underneath our railroad. You like to put the lawyer in the car, screw in the back of the car, and last thing, shoo, and off they went. So I'm talking to, you know, and we're sitting in a bar room and we're talking about this. So I said, what did you do? He says, what I did was I got in my pickup truck and I came into this bar room and I want you to buy me another one. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily in that order. <laughs> Not necessarily in that order. So yes, um, do not move. Don't, don't mess with the railroad. They're very serious. And that Tabasco sauce you uh, got right there in front of you. Yeah. Yes, sir. That'd be the deal. I remember one, one old boy was telling me one time he was, uh, he was supposed to be negotiating with the railroad for a railroad crossing. So he had to meet with the railroad's lawyer. So he goes into this big office, and they got the railroad's lawyer sitting there, you know, big desk. And he says, hi, I'm so-and-so, you know, I represent the landowner. And, you know, I'm here asking about having a permit to cross on the railroad and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure we can reach an animal agreement and all that kind of stuff. And the lawyer said, I want to show you something. <laughs> he said, you see this watch? I was I said, yeah, it's a Rolex. It's a nice watch. He says, the railroad gave me this watch because I don't give their effing money away. <laughs> That's how we started the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Get out, huh? All right, that's it, Jerry. That's it. <laughs> uh, how many people have been involved with uh, expert witnessing? Oh. 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 <laughs> you just don't know the legal profession until you get to see it in action. A good friend of mine, now deceased, God rest his soul, Jimmy Couturier. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Couturier got sued because somebody claimed they tripped over the guard stake yep. that he had by his survey marker and hurt her back. Oh. Yep. Serious <laughs> injury. Oh, yeah. So I'm there as an expert witness, and we got the court. The judge comes in as one of them hyphenated judges, you know. Judge something hyphenated something. All that stuff. <laughs> and she goes ahead and sits down, and they start the arguments. And she goes to sleep on the bench. I'm looking at her, and she's got her eyes closed, and she's sleeping. She is not contemplating the arguments that are going on for her. She is sound asleep. And these lawyers are going back and forth, making their arguments like nothing's going on. I see nothing. Why don't one of you guys drop a book or something? Wake her up. She's missing all the important things. Like, for instance, she said she got out of a car in the driveway by, by the carport and tripped over the stake. The stake's out by the street. She couldn't have done it. I mean, nothing's fitting with the story. Nothing's, nothing's matching. The judge is asleep. So then it comes time for my expert witness part. And the judge says, wait a minute. This isn't about having a failure to perform... Uh, according to the survey standards, this is a trip and fall hazard. This has nothing to do with it. We don't need to listen to him, this particular witness. And then, the, and so the attorney for Jimmy says, "Well, you know," he said, "I would like to hear from this witness anyway." Uh, she had a name. They had a name for that. Where uh, you just submit testimony. So when they go to appeal it later, it's on the record. And so the judge says, "Okay, that's fine." You can swear him in. So they swear me in. I sit down. The judge gets up, leaves the room, goes in her cubbyhole there and shuts the door. And I spend the rest of the time making a testimony, 
and the only one there is a the court reporter and his two lawyers. Oh, shit. And that was it. That's <laughs> done. So I got up. And of course, she had already decided she was going to she was going to give money to the to the woman, and it did. I'll never forget the guy. Her boyfriend was one of the witnesses. And uh, now this is New Orleans, and uh, you know what kind of soil they got in New Orleans? It's all like clay soil. I mean, make the clay up here look like sand. <laughs> so he says, "Yeah, she tripped, tripped over the stake, and they, and they had and they had a little." One by one, lap in the office. That was the evidence. And he said, "Yeah, the stake was driven down the ground until there was only about two inches sticking up." All right. So I'm going. So are you? I mean, the judge. I'll be hearing this because. And he said, and then after she tripped, he said, I reached down and I grabbed it and I pulled it out of the mud and brought it in. Okay. Anybody ever try to pull up a stake? <laughs> Louisiana. And With only two inches what? sticking up. Yeah. He must be one bad dude. Well, he was. He was a beefy fellow. His name was LaGuardia. I'll never forget that because he, he talked like he was from New York, too. But anyway, um, <laughs> judge slept through the whole thing. Judge found for the plaintiff. Uh, the insurance uh, company wrote a check, didn't appeal it. So, the story. Just another case of this is what happens. American blind justice. Yeah, well, I, you know, always, always say that if you're going to court and you look for justice, look up over the doorway and it's chiseled in stone. Mm -hmm. But that's the only place you're going to find it. Yep. Okay. Uh, let me see. Offsets. You know, in the, in the standards of practice, it says if you can't set a corner, you got to set an offset. Everybody knows that. Be careful, guys. Happened to me. I do a survey on a piece of property. I go stake it out, and in the back they have a chain wall uh, for the uh, for the wood fence, and I can't put the back corner in because it falls in a chain wall. So Steve says, "All right, I'll do an offset. I'm going to do a one foot offset." Stupid, 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 stupid. So then we come back later and the contractor's digging the, the farms to the house and, and fortunately we're there to, to locate the improvements while they were still putting the farms up. Then he had a plumbing in yet. And don't you know, it busts a setback for a foot. <coughs> and so I tell the farmer, I said, what's going on? You know, you're supposed to have a 20 foot setback here, you only got 19. He says, oh no, I said, I measured from your points. I said, what? You know, here it is. He said, well, you know, he says, the front points were gone. But I had to cross in the street for line, and I had your point in the back, so I just measured from the back and put it in. He didn't know it was a one-foot offset because the survey that said one-foot offset, that was sitting in the drawer back by the contractor's house. It wasn't there for the form got to get. Stupid, stupid, stupid. If you're going to do an offset, Making an offset that nobody's going to mistake it for the actual form. Ten feet, five. Ten feet, Ten feet is good. Make the offset something where nobody go out and say, "Oh, that's the corner. I found the corner and mistake it." And it, it cost me seven hundred fifty bucks because uh, that's all. Well, that's all. We're talking this is about probably a long, a long time ago. ago. We're talking about a long time ago. <laughs> With seven hundred fifty bucks, real money. But the old boy, your money. Really, the old boy that was doing the farms. 
you know how these guys ought to do these farms. They, they live from, from job to job, and they don't charge a bunch of money. They, it's not like they're rich people, and they don't have a lot of reserve funds. And so he's looking at it, he's got to shift this back, and he's got to pay these laborers to move it back and everything. <clears throat> so I said, all right. I said, uh, what's the cost to move it back? He saw it. He said, Mr. Steve, I'll do it for about, I guess about $700. I said, I'll tell you what. You move it back. I'm going to come back with a 12-pack of beer. You got it done. I'm going to give the beer to all you guys, and I'm going to write you a check for 700 bucks. Went to the office, got a check for 700 bucks, and uh, the wife says, well, who are we going to credit this against? And I says, put it down as tuition. <laughs> the lesson I learned is don't ever use short offsets. If you're going to do an offset, do a, do a nice big offset. Obvious. And um, a lot of times things seem like they're not connected, but they really are. Uh, some time ago, I guess it was in the 80s, uh, people were having a lot of trouble with crab tracks. Uh, crab traps getting into the motors and the wheels and getting all caught up with propellers and stuff like that. And Barely, the tides yeah. would bring them out. You remember that? They just oh, yeah. making a big mess. And every time you turn around, it's a big problem. So the legislature says, all right, what we're going to do, what's this got to do with survey? <laughs> so the legislature said, what we're going to do is we're going to pass a law that says you've got to weight down these crab traps. And you've got to weight it down with an iron bar that's a half inch diameter and 18 inches long and wide in the corners. <laughs> Sound like a familiar dimension to you? <laughs> so now every crab trapper along the bayou had a stack of half inch diameter rebar, 18 inches long, sitting in his backyard. All right. So I did a survey for a guy who was a friend of mine in high school, but it turned out he was a judge now. He said, calls me up and he wants to do a survey for his fishing camp. All right, now this is important property. If it was his office, yeah, leisure. if it was his house, no problem. This was his fishing camp. And according to the deed, he had 50 feet of property fronting on the bayou, and he needed 50 feet of property fronting on the bayou because his boat was 49 and a half feet long. <laughs> he can't make this problem. So I go through the survey and he had 50 feet of property and I staked it out. Guess what I staked it out with? Half inch rebar, 18 inches long. Put it down the ground, put some ribbon on it, went off. About six months later, he calls me up. He says, Steve, we've got a problem. I said, really, Judge? Uh, we have a problem, Judge? He says, yes, we do. He says, come down and meet me at my camp. I only got 48 feet in the front and you gave me a survey class saying I got 50 feet. Oh man, how did I screw something up? Okay. Okay. So we go on down there, and he's standing out there, you know, doing his little judge imitation. And he says, "Look at this," and, and he had he had two points uncovered, and both of them were half-inch rebar, and both of them had a little bit of ribbon tied on. Them. And uh, a few guys come out there and they pull the tape between them, and it's 48 feet. Ooh. This is bad because now he has 18 inches of boat too much. <laughs> so I've got a lot of screwed us up for 18 inches. So we go back and we get our control points. We're covered on the on the bar on, on the up on the roadway, and we set up on the control points and we check a couple of things. And I crank the first angle to the first point, and I hit that rebar right down the middle. Check the distance to it. Bang on. Scary close. I cranked to the other one. Rebar's not even in the scope. 
cuts it off. Man, what did I do? I double turn angle. I, I shoot him in from two directions. There's just no way I got this all messed up. And meanwhile, the judge is there. So I tell my field guys, just get a shovel and dig right there where I where I got the stakeout point. He gets his shovel out and digs around, boom, 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 and there's a rebar. I finished I am a rebar, got a ribbon tied on it, same clothes, the ribbon on the other side over there, and it says 50 feet. I said, Judge, there's your partner right there, that's the corner. And he says, you know, Steve, I, I grew up with you. He said, but if I was not standing here, when he dug that up, I would never believe that you would put that point there. And what it was was the old crab trap guy next door. He wanted 18 inches of property, so he ribboned up. Because he said he surveys, he knows how they look. He ribboned up a piece of iron rod and drove it down where he needed a car. <laughs> Hello. Uh. Old farmers do that shit. Oh, they do it all the time. <laughs> and then finally, uh, had a uh, guy came to my office, and he had one of my survey plats, one of the little... You know, your little, little uh, surveys, and he says, uh, I'm with the sign company, Lamar Dixon or the Lamar sign or whatever it is. Lamar sign. Lamar. Lamar sign company. He says, and we bought a servitude out here to put a sign up on this piece of property, and here's your survey, and it shows points on them, and I can't find one of them points. I said, all right. And I said, so it shows me survey. And I don't know, he's kind of sticking in my face. And I look at it. And it's my survey plaque, got my stamp, got my seal, got a date on it, shows iron rods and all that. Except the font for the square number and the font for the side streets are different than what comes out of my pad. It was just a different font. So well, that's that's odd. You know, and it's one of these, you know, these country subdivisions where they have 700 squares and each square's got lots all the same. You know, the ones that were done back in the 1890s, uh, 1910. So I go in my file, and in two squares over, I pull out a survey plaque, and it's identical date, identical dimensions, but it's got different side streets, and it's got a different square number. And I look at it, and the signature is absolutely identical, and if anybody knows me, I don't sign my name twice the same way, no matter what. And I said, you know what happened? I said, somebody has changed the names of the street and the square number and presented that to you like my survey. Mm -hmm. Here's my survey two squares away. He says, well, I'm, I'm, he said, I'm sorry, but that's what the owner gave me. I said, well, who's the owner? And he told me the name of the owner. I said, well, yeah. Well, that's not, I'm really pissed, you see, because surveying is my stock and trade. That's how I make my living. And he's stealing from me if he forges my survey. So I go to my lawyer. Rah, 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 rah. Lawyer says, "Why well, you know, calm down, Steve. Lawyers are good at saying that. They say, good at saying calm down. Calm down, Steve. I said, I'm sure so-and-so didn't mean to do any kind of damage. I said, what you mean? He said, well, I know the guy. I said, what you mean you know the guy? Well, he's one of my clients. That's great. My lawyer is his lawyer. That conflict of interest all over the place. Oh, yeah. I said, you know, that's forgery and all that. He says, well, you know, I want to get it. He says, well, look, he promises never to do it again. And you know, <laughs> I said he won't do it again until he has another square and it has the same dimensions as one of the other ones I served. Never, <laughs> stuff never quits. Yeah. Never quits. And of course, fine. We'll do this. We'll do this last one, man, because I'm hungry. Oh, um, 
true story, and all true stories, but this is this is one I think you may have heard before, but it's worth repeating. J.J. Krebs and Sons. Everybody, anybody ever heard of J.J. Krebs and Sons? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Big surveying company down in Metairie area did Boku work, and they did. Uh, they were working in Eastover, and Eastover was an area where they were building some really expensive houses. Today, the houses would have been like two million dollars each, and this is an Eastover where I wouldn't build an outhouse because the soils are really bad. But that's a whole other issue. And J.J. Krabs gets a survey uh, request on lot A, and he gets a survey request on lot C for this particular square. So he goes out to A, surveys A, and surveys C. He sends the survey class off to different guys and all that kind of stuff. And the guy that got the survey for C comes out with his farm crews and everything, and he starts building the house on B. He just started building on the wrong lot. So he's out there to clean and they're putting up the farms and like. And then a guy, while they're doing that, a guy comes along in this uh, Cadillac convertible. Oh, you heard the story, huh? Comes along in this Cadillac convertible and he sees him building the house and he goes, that's interesting, he goes on. So they're building the house. They finally get the house to where it's finished. And about every three days, the laborers kept saying, you know, they got a guy that comes along in a Cadillac convertible, slows down and sees how things, really kind of an odd thing. So they're getting ready to sell the house. They got the keys, they got the wife, they got the, the guy buying it and all that kind of stuff. And they're getting ready to go in. The guy in the Cadillac and Rural pulls in the driveway. He gets out and says, you built that house on my lot. That's my house. <laughs> he knew the law. You know, that's my house. Get out of here. You got my house. Right. Everything goes into court. And of course, when everything goes into court, you don't get to move in the house. That means you got a wife that doesn't have a house she was expecting to have. That means somebody's really miserable. <laughs> <laughs> somebody's really miserable. <laughs> Raising all kinds of grief, going on. Nobody happy. Five <laughs> years. Five years till they had a judgment. You know what the judge said? The judge says, Mr. So and so, you saw him building that house and you didn't stop him. That means you, by silence, you acquiesced to it. You owe the contractor the cost of that house plus a reasonable profit. And he says, says, then also, um, while in the five years has been going on, that house has been sitting there without anybody in it. What happens in New Orleans with a house with nobody in it? Vandalized like you wouldn't believe. People were throwing bricks through. They would. They had a game where they would see how many uh, drywalls they could throw a brick through from one room into the other room. Destroyed the house. Ten, fifteen thousand dollars worth of damage to the house. So he had ten or fifteen thousand dollars damage to a house that, that he had to pay the contractor for uh, with reasonable profit, and he was going to have to do all that just to get the house back up and sale. Because the law is not only because you were silent about it. The only thing that really could be done, let's say that he didn't go by seeing it, is that the builder of the house owns the house. And the man on the land owns the land, and the only thing the guy on the land can say is, get your house off of my land. But because he saw him building and didn't stop it, that meant it was acquiescent. All right. Anybody got any questions? Do you want to hear another story or, or what? Go ahead, D. Go ahead, D. Go ahead, D. Go ahead, D. Steve, thank you very much for speaking with you. I'm cold. I'm cold. I'm cold. For a short period of time, I used to teach surveying at UNO. 
adjunct instructor. All right. And we had a Saturday lab. And the first Saturday lab, I would get the guys out there, and there'd be, there'd be people there that were engineering students. There would be uh, party chiefs trying to get some education so they could get licensed. Be all kinds of different kinds of people, different levels. And they get in there and I tell them, all right, break up into groups of two or three. There's a pile of chains. There's some chain and pins. We got two marks out here. I want you to go chain between the marks and we're gonna see what kind of distance we're gonna get. And I mean absolutely no instruction whatsoever. So they would go out and they would chain. And we'd come back and I'd get the distances down. And I'd write them down on the blackboard. And of course there was a variation. As you can imagine, people out there rough chain, even as flat as you and those canvas was, you got a pretty good spread. So then uh, at the end I'd work up the least squares, uh, standard deviation, explain all that kind of stuff. Then I said, all right gentlemen, now we're gonna talk about chain procedures. And then you have a class on chain procedures. And at the end of the class on chain procedures, I say, all right, get back in the same group chat again and go forth and measure once again. So they go out and they come back and then we write them down and they would all be, a, still have a spread, but be like closer together. You know, not a spread was maybe a tenth of a foot, maybe two tenths of a foot outside, outside, over 700 something feet, which isn't bad for chain. And we finished out the least squares and all that. And at the end of it, I say, okay, here's the least squares adjustment. Here's the standard deviation point. Never fail. The guy would, one guy in class would say, what? He would say, well, he says, we got all these numbers here. What's the distance between those two marks? I said, well, hell, I don't know. You measured it. I didn't measure it. You're never going to know what the distance is between those two marks. The only thing you're going to know is the measurements that you got and the procedure you used. And if a judge ever asks you how far apart these two marks are, you say, Your Honor, I used this procedure and I got this value. But you just really never know the truth. And that's one of the that's one of the unique things about surveying. All the work you do, you will never know the truth. The only thing you're gonna know is your procedure and the results you got. Guys, one big treat from the convention was uh, the mock trial. I don't know if y'all got to see it, but Mr. Steve, Mr. Jerry, we want to thank y'all again for that. Y'all did an awesome job on that. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to be a member and listen to that. Uh, that we learned a lot from. Guys, that's that's pretty much all I got. Brad, do you have anything? BJ, you got anything? Uh, do pay attention in our next uh, at the next meeting that comes up. We may change the venue. We've had a lot of people asking about possibly trying another place. Uh, Brad's going to do a little uh, investigating there and see if we can find see if we can find another. But uh, do do pay attention to the venue next time. But other than that, do we have any motions to adjourn? Not while Steve's eating, huh? That's it, guys. Well, thank y'all very much for coming. Uh, thank you again to Steve for uh, talking to us. Very appreciate it.